This is Running with Mushrooms, exploring the industry and culture of mushrooms around the world. I'm Jess Jorgensen. I was recently in Kenya, where I met Morris Njagi. He runs an organic mushroom farm and had a lot of great insights about how mushrooms can impact the lives of farmers, how to develop growing solutions that are unique to a location and climate, and a whole new way to build mushroom farming structures. This conversation happened on a farm, and so you'll hear birds and occasional banging in the background, but I think you'll like this episode. Very excited because today I have the pleasure of speaking with Morris Njagi from Makuno Organics um, or Makuno Organic Mushroom Farm. He's going to tell you more about that in just a second. It's um, quite a cool conversation because we're out in Gambo County. We're on a mushroom farm run by a wonderful woman who I'll be chatting with later today. Um, Morris is here on the farm as a consultant and friend, working together with his fellow mushroom farmer colleagues. Um, we are currently seated um, on a school, which is run by the daughter of our, um, of our host today. And we're sitting underneath the trees, there's birds, there's tractors, there's all sorts of wonderful sounds of nature. Um, and it's a wonderful, peaceful setting to be having this conversation. So, Morris, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited to meet you and to talk more about Makuno Organic Mushroom Farm, what you do and all of the roles that you have as someone who's into mushrooms in Kenya. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Amazing. Do you want to start off by just telling me a little bit more about yourself? You know, what do you do? Well, as uh, Moses Njagi, I'm uh, one of the partners in Makuno Organic uh, Mushrooms. We are four of us and I'm basically the one in charge of production. So production, quality control, everything that stems from uh, button mushrooms. Oyster mushrooms, we also do a bit of shiitake. We are experimenting with lion's mane, but currently the main products are the oysters, both the pink, blue, yellow, and gray, and the white button and the creminis. I also help with uh, our farmers. We intend to have an outgrowers program, so I'll be tasked with helping our farmers set up their farms from scratch. That will ensure that we have a proper structure. Or as the farmer is starting out, the farmer knows the, like the farm layout, how best to have their composting area, their storage area, their growing areas, because all these are factors that affect the yield of your mushrooms. For example, you can't have your composting area next to your cropping area, because then you have insects and diseases transferring from your composting area into your grow house. So all these are factors that we want to help our farmers so that we can ensure that from the word go, from when they're starting to raise their first brick all the way to their first mushroom, the whole process we guide them and we're with them so that they can get a quality product. 
That's wonderful. So you're not only farming the mushroom yourself, but you're also helping other farmers and guiding them and consulting with them as they grow their mushrooms. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. I think uh, the market in Kenya is huge. Mm. And as as one company, I, I doubt there's just so much you can do and there's space for everyone. And there's also so many tales of uh, failed uh, mushroom projects. So that is part of the reason we decided to have an outgrowers program because for every two successful mushroom farmers in Kenya, there's like seven uh, failed mushroom farmers. And we want to change that narrative such that we can have someone starting a mushroom farm mm -hmm. and being successful on their first try without having to go through a phase of experiments and trials. That's why as, as Makuno Organic Mushrooms, we want to have that outgrowers program. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, you mentioned for every two successful, there are up to seven unsuccessful. That's, that's quite a hard-hitting kind of statistic. Could you tell me a little bit more about why those failures? Like, what are some of the challenges that Kenyan mushroom farmers are facing right now? Well, there are some uh, biological factors and then there are some like financial constraints. The cost of setting up a mushroom farm from start a proper mushroom farm is very high. And uh, the farmers in Kenya are still using the, the traditional method. So you have mud houses because that's the advice they've been getting all along. They told with the mud house, you can, you can produce mushrooms and produce large scale. So you find a farmer investing quite a huge chunk of money on um, five, six, seven mud houses. And then they do their first crop. There's high humidity in your house. There's uh, wood. The wood has started chipping off. There are rats getting into your house. There are cracks. You start, you, you then have the issues of you have to refill your house. The high humidity, your mud starts falling off. And then they start realizing, oh, it's, it's starting to become an inconvenience. What they thought was a cheap solution and a cheap options now starts becoming expensive. You have a crop, you've probably used 100k or 200k, and uh, you halfway through the crop, you start having insects. You have mushroom fires, you can't, then you have cracks in your house, you start losing your crop. By the time you realize it, your whole investment is down the drain. So we have those, and then we have the issues of... Uh, information if you were to go on youtube today and search information on mushroom farming in kenya or anywhere you get indian videos or just videos in high-tech companies in the u.s in netherlands belgium there's nothing tailored for africa mostly for kenya so the kenyan farmer who wants to probably do a proper like high-tech farm either pays a consultant who then brings it information that is tailored for Europe and they try to replicate that in Kenya, it fails. And then that person has already put in a huge uh, amount, time, capital, and then they decide, you know what, I'll hold on this. So we are trying to come up with local solutions for our our clientele because mm -hmm. the wheat straw, the chicken manure, they so, the way chicken is reared in the Europe is different from here. So if you were to tell someone, use 100 kg of chicken manure in Europe, and then use the same formula for someone in Kiambu, chances are they won't get the same result. Mm. There's the issue of weather conditions, what chemicals were used when that chicken was growing up, what sort of feeds were used. All this affects the quality of chicken manure that you're using. And all these factors together, you find that most of the new farmers, it's sort of a trial and error 
as they go along and that's why you find there's so many new farmers with issues of failed crops and such yeah. very very interesting and I, I think it's um the fact that so much of the education around growing mushrooms globally is for other climates or for people that have access to different types of substrates different types of spawn i have heard that it's quite hard to acquire sort of quality grain spawn as well in kenya is that right yeah that's true because yeah. currently you find that we're using the most common is silvan which is from south africa mm-hmm. locally there's no one producing spawn that's tailored for for kenya mm. so spawn is quite but the costs of setting up a spawn making uh, lab is is what is mostly deterring even those of us who want to get into that space the cost implication would mean probably in the next three or four years we could probably have a plant based in kenya but for now we're relying on what's already available in the market yeah. Yeah. okay okay so is there anywhere in kenya where these farmers can study mushroom farming in a more formal capacity like are there agricultural or agribusiness schools that people can go to to learn how to farm mushrooms in kenya or is the majority of the education through organizations such as yours there are schools off the top of my head i can think of one but the issue is the time and the way the, the course is set up you have a three day training where you you pay per day and then in that three day well it's virtually impossible for example for button mushrooms to learn everything about button mushrooms in three days that's why you find people are paying for those courses and then going to farmers to get extra training or to do it practically with farmers who've done it before so as it stands there isn't quite a formal setup where people can learn it's something we're looking into because we think it's it's actually a gap because if anyone goes online and searches they'll only get one institution doing that and then the three day course in my opinion i don't think it's effective especially for mushrooms that require compost mm-hmm. making because this is a 16 to 30 day process for the oysters it could work because you can do everything in a day or two but for button mushrooms i don't think three days is sufficient enough for someone to put in uh, a huge amount of capital yeah i agree i mean i I'm a pretty bad grower of a handful of mushroom species, <laughs> but oysters were the easiest because they were quick to learn. Yeah. I learned in a three-day program in Wales by um, a wonderful guy who runs a small sort of organic farm. Mm-hmm. But those three days were not sufficient, <laughs> even for me. Like it's really hard. I struggle all the time. I get contamination. I I grow things that are not oysters. <laughs> like where did that come from? What was that? Yeah. <laughs> you know. So I, I I agree with you. I think three days can give you maybe the foundational understanding of what needs to happen. But when it comes down to the technical details and actually growing day to day, controlling humidity, controlling temperature, understanding how to avoid contamination, and and all the complexity of like, are you growing from a liquid culture? Are you making your own cultures or trying to? Do you need a lab setup or not? Are you trying to grow spawn or import spawn? Are you growing to, you know, sell the fresh fruit or are you growing to powder the fruit? You know, how much yield can you handle? Or are you growing sort of those ready-made bags to then sell onto other people to grow at home? You know, all of the complexities in this entire process you can't cover in three days. Yeah, that's that's very true. 
for example, the main issue, for example, with the uh, oysters and button is watering. But watering, I could come and tell you, we need to achieve 85, de- 85 degrees humidity, or oh, 85%, sorry, humidity. Someone in, uh, in a hot area will not have the same watering routine as someone in a cold area. But during the three course, you've told them, okay, you need to water three times a day, morning, lunch, hour, evening. My place, temperatures are probably 30. Someone else, their temperature is 21, the outdoor temperature. Of course, if they water three times, then it's excessive. Now, these are all factors that either you acquire over time or are based on your on your growing environment. Because even the kind of house you have, let's say you have a house that has absorbent walls, then some of your moisture is getting lost in your walls. And then I come and tell you water for three, day, for three times a day, it's going to be enough. You see, these are all things that I don't believe in my opinion. You can quite capture in, in three days. It's better to have a, a practical approach to it. Have a, a grow house where students or someone willing to learn can come and then they go through the whole process. If it's, for example, button mushroom, they can go from composting all the way to marketing such that that person has done it practically, has seen it, has been there for 40 or so days. They can come probably two or three times a week when there's something critical happening. But then that person will live there knowing even the like the practical aspects of it. For example, you can have a crop where it's 18 degrees, but it's still not performing. And then they can figure out, you know what, there's a time this happened at the farm, and the issue was probably not even the temperature. Maybe the airflow was was a problem. The CO2 in the house was high. But then there's another farmer who did a three-day three training. They see the temperature is okay, the humidity is okay, it's dark. Okay, where, where is the issue coming from? But they don't understand. There's so many factors, ecological factors, that come into play for you to have a successful mushroom crop. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You mentioned earlier that your Outgrowers program is um, consulting with farmers and helping them with these sorts of issues, working, as you say, you know, uh, based on your environment, the temperature, your climate, etc. Can you give me an example of a Kenyan-specific challenge and a solution? Oh yeah. Okay. So one of the main the main issues are farmers who are struggling with your with their composting, mm-hmm. and the problem is with the composting process. There's a there's a routine to it, like the long method. There's the day when you add your chicken manure. There's when you do your free turns. There's when you're supposed to add your supplements. There's when you add your gypsum, and there's where you need to spawn. There's a process that you follow for you to achieve the best results. So you'll find that. If a farmer has made their compost outdoor, they don't have a shade on top. One, they could be covering with a polythene, covering the compost. That then traps the ammonia in the, in the compost. There is no escape for that ammonia. So you find by the time they get to spawning, there's high ammonia levels in your, in your compost. The other the issue is uh, watering. You have your, you've added your gypsum, which is meant to control your pH. It's meant to have the, the structure of your compost so that you have loose. Your compost is not compact. It's not muddy. Instead, it, it's loose such that my, the mycelium can easily move around and there is proper aeration. Now, if you add water after you've added gypsum and you've noticed your water, the water content in your compost is low, then you're essentially damaging your, your compost. So you find all these are factors that the Kenyan farmers struggle with. Mm. 
mm. but the mean, the meaning stem from the training that's that's found around uh the advice is you need to get compost done these are the materials you need if you have a compost at the end button mushroom is a compost having uh, mushroom you're good to go but now the process you follow to achieve that is where the the breakdown is coming in that i would say is the biggest issue with the kenyan farmer and the structures they struggle with composting and the sort of structures because if you, right now you are to get on your phone and google the first five articles will tell you madhouse 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 and then they don't tell you the the issues that come with madhouses while with the same mud you could make a mud brick which would then solve the insulation issue the insect issue and it's very durable you could have that for 30 50 years and it's the same mud that you could instead of building a mud house convert it to a mud brick and you have something sustainable and something durable can you describe a mud brick and how and uh, how it would be used to build those grow houses so the mud brick how we make them so you you make a, a wooden mold so depending on how big you want your brick for example you could have a 1 foot length 6 inches uh, depth and 6 inches wide and then you make your mud so you have your your red soil you mix it with a bit of uh, sawdust so the sawdust helps with the structure so that your mud does not have breakage because sometimes if you put your your mud in the mold and then you leave it in the open sun you find that your bricks are getting cracks so the the sawdust helps with that structure and to make the the mud more compact so once you've made your mud you've put it in the mold then you cover it don't leave it in direct sunlight cover it for a day or two and then you can just remove the cover and let it aerate within if it's hot within 3 weeks or a month you have a proper brick and it's almost like a stone brick but the difference is that mud is an insulator soil is a very good insulator so you've actually solved two issues the issue of high temperatures in your grow house you've solved that because now you have an insulator with your mud brick and the issue of durability and cracks on the wall and all that because once you're making your joints you can either use mud or use cement and sand mm. so the issues of insects rats snails getting into your house you've completely gotten rid of that so the two main issues which is pests and temperature control you've solved using a, a mud brick and it's durable and it's cheap very very interesting is this something that a lot of your farmers and people that you're working with are starting to take on uh it's something we've introduced and uh, most farmers realize that it's actually a very good solution because if you do to do the costing for it for a mud brick you just need to pay people probably public or per day with a mud house you also need to the sticks you need poles you need the mud you still pay the same labor and then once you do that there's the nails as well once you do that costing you find that it's even higher than a, a mud brick house and in africa we've used uh, mud bricks to make houses in the past so it's something that most people are conversant with so the change from the mud houses to mud brick houses i think it's going to be welcome with the kenyan farmer yeah. that's such an interesting story and i love that you're creating an opportunity for farmers to have a more controlled environment using materials that are easily available from what i gather the mud is gathered locally right yes 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 that is true yeah. and uh, the thing with that is uh, it solves 
some of the problems. For example, with the with the mud house, mm. you also need wood and timber, the sticks to join your to hold your mud up. This with the with the issues with the global warming and that all that, mm. we need to reduce the cutting of trees and make sure we have as much vegetation on the land as there is. So now, if you're making five grow houses out of mud, now you can imagine the number of trees you have to cut down for that. With the with the mud brick, once you've dug your hole and you have a hole, once you're done with your composting, you've harvested your mushrooms, the leftover compost, you just put it in the hole that you have. Now you've uh, you've reclaimed your your soil. So essentially, over time, what was a hole now you have a very healthy and very nutritious uh, area that you can grow vegetables on, organic vegetables. Yeah, I love it. This is a very circular system. It mm. seems exactly very, very, very cool. Yeah. Um, Morris, how did you get into mushrooms? What's your story? <laughs> well, uh, I actually studied uh, commerce marketing in campus. After I was done with campus, I decided to get into agriculture. I've always been a huge fan of agriculture. My grandfather had uh, coffee, and uh, as kids, we used to harvest the coffee and take it to the factory, and it was some of the most fun I, I had as a child. And I think that built into my interest in, uh, in agriculture. So after campus, I decided, let me get into agriculture. I got into passion fruit farming. Well, <laughs> and uh, that was my introduction to agriculture. It was uh, unsuccessful. It takes a lot to do passion fruits. And then after that, I decided what is a crop that mainly solves the issue in our area. Unemployment is very high. So the issue of petty theft is, is very high. So I would expect to harvest probably 10, 15 bags. I'd harvest five, find someone already got there before me. And then the issues with the passion like it's so many chemicals and all that and i was like this this is not working for me so i needed a crop that one i can sort of control the conditions so uh it was either a greenhouse or something that needs a house and that's when doing research i came across mushrooms so but initially the um the material i was getting online seems so capital intensive like the machines they were mentioning, you find a machine is one point something million Kenya shillings and you're like, I'm just out of campus, how do I raise three million to get into this? And then, unfortunately, I met someone doing oyster mushrooms and they were using like very cheap ways to get it and I was intrigued. So I got into oyster mushrooms. My first cop, I didn't even go for training or anything. I used YouTube and it was very successful. My second one, not so much. <laughs> And then eventually I moved towards button mushrooms because of issues of marketability. I wanted to scale. And with oyster mushrooms, the market was back then was still quite small. But for button mushrooms, it was, I think, uh, big. So I moved from the oysters to button. And eventually that's how we grew the company to where it is now. Have your customers become more used to oyster? You mentioned you wanted button to scale. But how have you seen the Kenyan kind of market evolve since you started? And how do they react to mushrooms? Is it the same as it used to be or has it changed somehow? Personally, I think for you to market something, you have to have trust and like that product. You can't try to sell a product that personally you, you feel ish-ish about. So the first thing is I grew oysters and distributed that to my cousins, my friends, and then got their feedback. Most of them were like, 
I prefer Westa to to Baton. So it was an issue of um, what was introduced to Kenya. Baton mushroom is what was introduced first. So people are more familiar with Baton mushrooms. And I think also with the appearance, the oyster mushrooms, when we were kids, they, these mushrooms, wild mushrooms, and some of them that grow on trees tend to look like the oyster mushrooms. Mm-hmm. So people have still have that mentality. This is, is something wild. It's something that I should not consume, which is something I struggled with. Even when I was setting up the farm, people would come and be like, what are you doing? I'd be like, I'm making, uh, I'm building a house for mushrooms. Be like, wait, what? Where will you take your mushrooms? I'm like, they're consumed. They're like, no, I would never in my lifetime eat a mushroom. And that's where I started. I started changing those mentalities. Everyone who told me they don't eat mushrooms, I was like, okay, why would you not eat it? They're like, no, no, no. I used to see those things with worms as kids. I'm like, this is organic. There are no worms. I'll make you a sample. Tell me if you like it, if you hate it. We keep trying until we get something that you like. So I think the population in Kenya is now, it's moved from like old people. It's moving towards the youth. And these are people who are willing to experiment with foods. That's why you find even with the hotels around, there's more seafood, there's mushrooms, there's these gourmet foods that normally would not have found previously. So I think that has also helped us Mm -hmm. in that the young uh, Kenyan is willing to experiment. And if they taste the mushroom and they like it, then they become a customer and that it's a win-win for us. You mentioned this gourmet culture and the foodie culture. For people who haven't had the pleasure of visiting Nairobi, can you, can you share some insights into foodie culture and how much people are appreciating and testing and experimenting with different foods? What, what does that look like in Nairobi? <coughs> and the second part to that question is, is it the same in other parts of Kenya? Mm, wow, I, I would say that uh, the food culture is mainly in uh, in urban areas because normally it was like I will buy food at a hundred shillings, two hundred, and that was like even in campus that was how it used to be. But now you find there are students, someone is willing to buy food at let's say five hundred, eight hundred shillings per plate. But then on that plate you find that they're getting salmon. They're getting mushrooms. They're getting something that our parents would probably not have purchased. They would, if you told them, mom, I want you to buy me this plate of food at 800, they'd be like, what? Why? They'd be like, but mom, it's seafood. What do you mean seafood? I'll buy a fish along the way and we'll have some tilapia. So it's something that's come up. I think now there's internet everywhere. There's social media now, Instagram, TikTok. People want to post like fancy food. Also, the, in fact, the issue of nutrition. People are more conversant with what they're eating, what they're consuming, the organic. They want to know this mushroom, how was it grown? Are there chemicals in this mushroom? And uh, also like this, uh, the appearance of the food for social media. So all these factors have led to the increase in uh, fancy in quote food uptake. And this is, I think, us as mushroom farmers, the timing is perfect for us <laughs> because mushrooms look really good on a plate. So yeah, they do. Mushrooms are beautiful. Yes. In fact, if you have a mushroom pizza. It looks like even if you take the photo or even the mushroom where you're growing the mushroom or you just have a mushroom soup, the photos look really good. It tastes as good, but the photos look really good. That yeah. definitely helps us mushroom fans <laughs> promote yeah. our mushrooms, doesn't exactly. it? So, Morris, you, you've mentioned that particularly a young Kenyan audience is becoming more open and more receptive to mushrooms, which is great. Yeah. And do you think, what do you think... It, 
is going to happen in the near future for Kenyan mushroom farmers? Like, where do you see the industry growing? My vision is I want mushroom to be very accessible. Mm-hmm. I want that the same way I can go to a, a, a grocery and find kales, cabbage, carrots, onions. I also want to have the option to pick mushrooms from that instead of having to like get a matatu, go somewhere to a supermarket and just a select number of supermarkets have mushrooms. I want a, a scenario where in, if I want mushrooms, I can just go outside, walk 20 meters and find mushrooms. Uh, and for that to be achievable, one, the costs of production has to go down. Some of the inputs that we use have gotten quite expensive over the years, which is a hindrance because if you're producing your mushroom at, let's say, a 100 uh, shillings per planet, you can't then sell that at anything lower than that. And you have to make your profit and then it becomes unaffordable for the, for the, for the consumer because they are like, I can get a cabbage at 50 shillings and I'll eat it for three meals. Where then would I get a planet of mushrooms that I will only consume for one meal and I'll need something else for me to feel full. So it has to make sense for the consumer and it also has to make financial sense to us that are selling the mushrooms. So it's an issue of, uh, the inputs, the cost of inputs, if your production costs get to, let's say, 50 shillings, you can afford to sell that planet at 70, 80 shillings, and then the consumer can buy, and they will become regular consumers. They don't have to buy once a week because they buy it like on Saturday because it's too expensive. At 80 shillings, they can afford to incorporate it into their food timetable. There, They can have it like three times a week, and then that is more consumption, and more sales for us. So it's it's a combination of factors, but that is the vision for me, to make mushroom affordable and accessible to everyone while still making uh, financial sense on the other end. I think that's a great dream, and I, I hope to see it come to fruition. Thank you. Um, <laughs> what, what needs to happen for, for that to become a reality? Does the government need to step in and provide support? Yes, most definitely. The government has to do something about it because, uh, for example, the in Kenya, the biggest supplier of mushrooms is uh, someone who's actually bringing them, is, is not a Kenyan. So the, these are issues that are making it very difficult for the, for the local farmer where that your biggest competitor is, is a foreigner. So if the government can find a way to cushion the local farmer, because first of all, our costs of productions are high, we cannot afford to sell at the price that the importer is selling at. So that is one, one of the key areas that I think the government could probably cushion us a bit. We are not saying that you kick them out, just make the, the playing field level such that someone producing mushrooms in Kiambu has the same competitive advantage as someone who's importing the mushrooms. That way, it will it will be a proper mm. playing field. But if someone who's bringing in mushrooms can afford to sell at 75% of what you're selling, then it becomes impossible and unsustainable for a mushroom farmer in in Kenya. Mm. So I think that's one of the, the areas they could look at. The efficiency aspect of it, and uh, the prices as well, mushroom prices fluctuate a lot. 
you can sell a panel today at 250 and sell tomorrow at 130 so as a business person and someone who's doing mushroom as a business it's very hard to predict your sales you could predict i'll produce 10 tons of mushrooms in let's say three months but if someone was to tell you how much do you expect to make it's very hard to give an answer for that because i could sell at 200 a planet and make a huge huge amount at the same time i could sell probably for half of that and then i i can't predict and that is that unpredictability is what we tend to eliminate if we can know that if i make a thousand planets i expect let's say not less than 150k for example then it's very easy to plan and know how big do i need to go what do i need to do to to make sure that i'm running i can afford to pay my people as well and i can afford to sell and have something left behind for expansion and all that so it's a combination of factors i think mm. yeah mm. okay super interesting so so to sum up in order for local farmers to be able to kind of be competitive and you know make this a sustainable income for themselves mm-hmm. we need to level the playing field and there are some ways to do that ideally through legislation um or regulation where the government steps in to essentially level the playing field between the big corporates and the local farmers or at least allow some kind of platform where local farmers are supported in their growing efforts can you tell me when mushrooms become easier for people to grow they've become as much a part of the kenyan everyday cuisine as mm. kale and cabbage <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people love mushrooms they understand the nutritional benefits they think they're delicious which mm-hmm. they are yeah. what are some of the ways that mushroom farming can really benefit kenyan society culture industry agribusiness you know what what can mushrooms do for kenya mushroom is quite an interesting crop because i'll give you an example with our farm one of our farm in gatondo uh, north If you look at the number of people that are usually there for the whole crop especially we, we, what when we are starting we have men and then we have ladies for harvesting and you'll find at every given day we have about 10 to 20 people at the farm that's already the, the biggest issue in Kenya one of the biggest is unemployment we've already with one farm we've already managed to create employment for 20 people you'll find that each has the people behind them there's a family there's one a brother who's paying fees for someone for a sibling so you find we void at the very start we've created employment and then there's the issue of food security you find that mushrooms you can dry mushrooms and they'll be okay for six months in arid and semi-arid areas this is a product that we can package and distribute to people where drought is very prevalent if the government was to approach us we could provide um, powdered mushrooms which are very very nutritious and solve the issue of nutrition you find there are places in Kenya where people don't have access to a balanced diet because of many factors for example you could find it's it's a drought prone area or it's a dry area they can do like uh, kitchen gardens and all that but you find with mushrooms you could even set up a farm for them because you're growing them indoors and they could harvest ma- mushrooms in two months and then store those mushrooms and they have a six month supply of mushrooms that they can add to their diet and then that mm-hmm. helps with the with the issues of 
kids falling ill because they don't have a balanced diet there's not enough vitamin d in their food in their supplements so that's also another issue that i think mushrooms can solve the issue of food security and the issue of climate change because you find that you're going mushrooms inside the house so the outside factor the outside conditions let's say it's too hot or it's raining heavily that does not come into play inside your your grow house you do your compost in a shed you grow your mushrooms in inside the house so if it's hot outside you can still control the climate conditions inside your house meaning a farmer can do a crop all through the year so you don't have issues where a farmer is doing a crop you see like with the outdoor crops like maize you do one season and that's it if rain fails your crop fails that's a whole year you don't have a source of income your food you expected you don't have then starts becoming a strain on you and your family so mushroom is a crop that can solve that and the other thing is uh with the soil degradation you find over the years people have been using uh, inorganic fertilizers and that has led to uh, the damage with the soil with the acidity of the soil so you find that an area where you used to grow maize and beans right now you can't do that it's you plant and it's not doing well because you've overused that soil you've used too many chemicals you've planted the same crops but with the mushrooms once you're done that compost you just put it back into the soil and over time you find that the soil even becomes better because it helps with the structure it helps with soil retention you're bringing in nutrients so you find that the the ecological system or uh, the ecological elements of your soil are improved greatly so from uh, wastage from uh, your wheat straw your chicken manure you've actually used waste products from your chicken farms from your wheat farmers so now the wheat farmers do not have to burn the the straw which damages the environment and the carbon footprint so you've taken that you've made mushrooms from it you've sowed mushrooms you've been left with the compost you've taken that compost to your soils it's improved your soils so it's a whole circular economy You've taken waste, you've recycled that, and now I think mushrooms uh, are quite the, the interesting crop. I love how you've summarized that circular system, yeah. and I think that's one of the reasons that so many people around the world are interested in mushrooms. Mm. Are there any initiatives that um, the Kenyan government or other organizations are currently running at a larger scale that can help uh, support these uh, farmers? Um, I don't know of any. I know in uh, other fields, probably with maize and others, mm -hmm. there are programs where like they will supply uh, inputs to um, farmers or let's say the less fortunate. Mm -hmm. They'll supply supplements to uh, inputs to them and then they will offtake the, the product and then for just a small margin and then that way they, they can sustain themselves. For example, with maize, they will get probably an acre or two acres they will fund that project and then that farmer is left with can sell a bit of it and they give them bags and they store a bit of it that they can use as their own food so they make money and the issue of food i think that's a mm -hmm. concept that could work very well with mushrooms especially with like northeastern kenya mm -hmm. which is an, an arid area because then it's a crop that like uh, women empowerment you find that uh, in that particular area there are many women but they ha they don't have a source of income so they are very dependent on the on the men the men are doing pastoralism so they're gone for 
for long periods of time so it creates an imbalance in the especially in the family structure but with mushrooms you can have a lady who turn for example western mushrooms they can do that as a, as a business one they have something to do so they're productive and they don't feel like they're just going through life just passing by so they can feel that they're contributing to society by they can do the like the substrate they can grow the mushrooms they can sell so they have food that they're making there is the employment you've created for them it's sustainable for them yeah so they don't have to depend on the real food or any of that i i, I envision a situation where no kenyan has to rely on the real food to to survive i believe that with the right systems in place we can actually become self-sufficient and every person in kenya because if a place is completely dry there is a crop you can do it's just a matter of how you tweak it for example with mushrooms you can build a house they can get their inputs and then they can do it and then at the end of three months they have something that they can show that we made these mushrooms and over time then we can move away from the issue of uh food and all that yeah I'm glad that you brought up the issue of relief food, as you say, and also the different regions of Kenya, because I think that's one of the exciting things about mushrooms, isn't it? That you can grow them anywhere. And as we know, Kenya has such a diverse range of biomes and climates. Northwest to northeast is, you know, arid and quite um, very hot and quite dry. And then you've got the coast, which is tropical you know yeah, completely different yes. um and then you've got the highlands slightly drier the sort of temperate climates of the west i'm not going to get this right i'm not an expert <laughs> on kenyan climatology <laughs> but you know i do know that there's quite a diverse range of regional environments that kenyans are needing to grow food in and i love that you mentioned that mushrooms are something that can work in all of those areas Yeah exactly you can go mushrooms anywhere you just need the right structure and mm. the right conditions indoor co- conditions and you can grow it anywhere so the issue of relying on food from one or two particular areas in the country then that's mm. that's done okay i'm not saying this cuz you know i do mushroom farming but i think mushroom solves some of these problems that we have mm. because there are parts of the country that get very very dry but when it rains those places flood and that, all that water goes to waste and then you you find they working with extremes it's either extreme drought or extreme rain yes and uh, with mushrooms we, you can solve some of that because they can become self sustaining the compost that they get afterwards they can put in sacks gunny sacks and plant vegetables and just use a little bit of water because mushroom compost retains so much water so they can put that in bags and then they can have like towers where they grow their own vegetables their own onions and then you have from the one mushroom house over time you've created a condition where they're getting the vegetables that they didn't have previously even with the soil rehabilitation find like in some areas the stone is is very near to the surface so if you plant anything it just d- dies out because the roots cannot penetrate but now if over time they keep dumping the the spent compost leveling it you find in a few years they've created a area where they can actually grow some of these uh, shallow rooted vegetables so 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 interesting morris it's been 
fascinating learning from an expert in this field and um, your knowledge on the Kenyan specific issues is is amazing. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> You're most welcome. I know that our colleagues and friends are preparing a mushroom themed lunch for us. Yes. And I know that they're probably waiting for us. So I won't take up too much more of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two more quick questions before okay. we wrap up. Okay. The first one is what does Makuno mean? Makuno organic mushrooms. Ah. Tell us the story of, of that. Makuno, wait for it, is mushroom in Kikuyu. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what happened actually, uh, when I was doing the branding with my cousin, my cousin told me, you know, he has a friend who does branding and we sent the concept to him. We, we hadn't yet come up with a name. So initially it was a very, a very cheesy name. <laughs> so I sent the name and the designer had issues. It was a very long name. So he just put Makuno as a placeholder and he sent like the mock-up and you're like, you know what? Makuno works. <laughs> it's authentic. It's, it's Kenyan and it's easy. You see, it's easy to pronounce and it's something that anywhere you go, if someone sees Makuno, then it, they simply understand it's about mushrooms even without Sing the organic mushrooms. So that's how we came up with uh, Makunu as our brand name. I love it. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> My last question is a personal one. Uh-huh. What's your favorite mushroom to eat and how would you recommend cooking it? Wow, my favorite, I would say, is grey oysters, followed closely by creminis, but grey oysters for the win. And uh, just a stir fry or just uh, like, a, like a barbecue, just have it on a grill. Barbecue sauce and oof, grey oysters. Amazing. <laughs> now you've got me thinking about them. <laughs> yeah. Is there a, um, instead of Nyama Choma, is there a Makuno Choma? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will introduce it. Yeah. <laughs> we have like a Mshikaki, you know, where you have like that long uh, stick. On the with sticks, the, yeah. Yes. So we do some uh, nice button mushrooms and then we see how people think. It's very sweet and see if people like it, but I think they will. For the oysters, you can do like a choma, just put it on the grill, roast on both sides, and then just some sauce, and it's it's very sweet. In fact, if you are, I think you've already talked to them, Mycelian Foods, yes. it's a company that we work closely with. They um, they do quite interesting stuff in, on, on mushrooms, especially with farmers, and uh, they make these cookies mushroom cookies i think you should try them it's they're they're really sweet i'm definitely gonna try mushroom cookies yeah i'm definitely gonna try brying well in south africa we call it bry but Uh the choma Uh so button mushroom choma or mushrooms on the skewers and all this talk of mushrooms is making me so hungry (laughs) (laughs) i guess um, that's a lovely way to wrap up our conversation today. Mm. It's been really, really cool chatting to you, Maurice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an interesting conversation. Once we have our new farm, I'd, uh, I want to invite you. You can come and see uh, what we'll be doing there. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. I'm going to take you up on that offer. Thank you very much. Yes. One last thing. If, um, if anyone listening to this would like to find you, um, do you have a website or an Instagram or a Facebook page? Where, where can we find Makuno? Uh, we are Makuno Organic Mushrooms on all platforms. So even our website is makunoorganics.com. But on all other platforms is Makuno Organic Mushrooms. 
Yes, you can find us there. Or you can even give us a ring. Our contacts are on the website and the social media pages. Thank you so much. I will include links to all of your platforms in the show notes when this is published as a podcast mm -hmm. and in the blog post when I put it up as a blog so that people can find you and chat to you and hopefully spread the knowledge of this wonderful work that you're doing, particularly with the Outgrowers program, which I think is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I wish you all the best. I hope that local mushroom farmers are able to grow and expand um, and I think there's only good things coming for, for the farming of mushrooms in Kenya. Thank you so much and you're welcome any day to visit the farms, see what you're doing and uh, we're happy to share this with the world. This episode includes a blog post on runningwithmushrooms.com with some analysis of what we learned together today, like any big themes, concepts or tensions that have come up. With each episode, these ideas are building on what the research is uncovering as the tour continues. In the show notes, you'll find links to reach out, subscribe to Running With Mushrooms and support my guests. I hope that you're inspired to geek out about mushrooms with me and thank you for joining the mushroom tour.